from the New Testament, we're going to read two passages, the one from Luke chapter 12, and the other one from Acts chapter 11. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 49 through 53. Brothers and sisters, listen to God's word for you this morning. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. From the book of the Acts, chapter 11, we're going to read verses 1 through 18. Acts, chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large tent coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning and I remembered the word of the Lord how he had said John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit if then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ who was I that I could hinder God when they heard this they were silenced and they praised God saying then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, peel away the 
layers of understanding and knowledge that we have about your word. And help us to discover where you, O Holy Spirit, are at work. Help us to discover the newness that came in Jesus the Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Boundaries and barriers and labels. Identity issues are all prominent in our assumption of people and life. Is it not? I mean, we, we know who's in and who's out. Who belong and who doesn't belong. And brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter whether we talk about the international borders between the USA and Mexico and immigration, or begin, uh, or about the, the deep divisiveness in our society in terms of political viewpoints, or anything that challenges our convictions about people and who may be in and who may be out, and who may belong and who may not belong. Because when we talk about those, we know about the strong reaction on both sides of the challenge. This is the story that we read this morning in the book of the Acts. But I think it's also part of the story that has to do with Psalm 82, in which God uh, calls those that he put in charge, of course translated as gods by the NRSV, but may be well anyone in authority positions, anyone who can make a decision, and in Psalm 82, the judges, God calls them into judgment because they neglected the defenseless and the needy. And they only judged in favor of those in power. It is also somewhat connected to our upsetting reading from Luke chapter 12. I mean, just when we start to think that Jesus is all about peace and reconciliation, we hear that Jesus say, I, come to bring, I came to bring fire to the earth, and now I wish it were already kindled. Do you think that I have come to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. In this chapter of Luke, we read that the work of Jesus will cause deep-running division among people. Even in the close, closest unity of fellowship, now, uh, namely households and families. I've always wondered why. Until I realized that it's indeed around the work and the attitude and the love and the acceptance and the persons of, uh, person of Jesus that so many people are divided. It is when we start to think about the implication of the work of Jesus in this world, brothers and sisters, that disagreements abound about how should we understand being Christian. How should we understand foundationally Christian and Christian life? 
and we know how it is. We know how what we believe about Jesus causes deep schisms to run in the church. Indeed, between family members, where one may belong to a traditional reformed congregation like the Presbyterians who are the frozen chosen, and another to a Pentecostal group where they cannot believe that they have to sit still in church, or somewhere in between. I've experienced it in my own family and between my own siblings. We know about the divide between denominations. Just think about all the churches in this small area of Mount Pleasant. And this morning we read about the difference of understanding of what has always been, of what was always prescribed, what was the accepted thing. And that new thing that Jesus brought about. And we read the story about a well, how a well-meaning disciple, well, he wasn't all that well-meaning, but I mean, after God twisted his arm three times, he explained to the gatekeepers, why on earth would he dare to trample on everything they considered holy? Why on earth? Did he think that he could eat with people who were uncircumcised? Now this chapter 11 in Acts has been described by many theologians as the hinge of the story which Luke tells about Jesus. Because this is the story, brothers and sisters, how the church was broken uh, open to those other people. How the church gates were opened so that even us today can be members of the church of God. Us who are not Jews or Israelites. That we can be members of a church where the only head of this church is Jesus the Christ. The story that we read, uh, that we read from Acts is the concluding episode of the story of Peter and Cornelius. You probably recognize that. It starts at the beginning of chapter 10. And to Peter, brothers and sisters, it was an horror story about something that played out three times in Peter's dreams. It is also the longest of the stories that we find in Luke and Acts. Therefore, one of the longest stories in the New Testament. It is as if Luke spent so much energy and chose so many words carefully to underscore the significance of this episode in the history of the church. As such, chapter 11 stands as a monument and a milestone in the life of the church. So when you go back and you read the story from the beginning, beginning of chapter 10, you may get an inkling of how enormously difficult it was for Peter to do something he would never have dreamt of. To do something, brothers and sisters, that went right into everything that he stood for, right against his human being and and I think even what he thought about God and his faith. It went against everything he believed in, everything that he was willing to do. 
And now we shouldn't be in a hurry to get past the word Gentiles in this reading. This word which is translated with Gentiles had a humongous load of meaning to any believing Israelite. I mean, this word denotes those people, the heathens, the nations, the non-believers, the pagans. They were the people, in other words, who were not Israelites. And because they were not Israelites, it was not worth noticing them in the streets. They had so much lower standing that you should almost not notice them because they couldn't claim real lineage from Abraham or David and their descendants. They were just here to fill the earth, you know. And so hanging out with Gentiles could cause a real Jew to become ritually impure. It was almost part of life that even Jews could become unclean or impure. And there were provisions in the law for purification. But the general rule was that everyone should avoid becoming unclean if it is possible. To be careless about purity and purity issues, that was a sin against God. But the impurity itself could be cleaned away was not sin. So when Peter arrived here in Jerusalem with those leaders of the church, do you remember what the question to Peter was? The apostles and believers in Judea heard that the Gentiles also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him saying, why did you go to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? It wasn't the preaching. It wasn't baptizing. It wasn't being around uncircumcised, which bothered the brothers in Jerusalem. It was that Peter crossed a boundary. Why did you eat with those people? You see, eating in, in, in the Bible, in the Old and New Testament times, even now, has great meaning. It shows a certain level of acceptance and a certain level of support, maybe partnership, between those around the table. Maybe that is why family gatherings around Thanksgiving and Christmas are so deeply rich, so full of meaning, and often so difficult. Because you have to be with people that you would normally not invite to your table. And brothers and sisters, think about our table. It's here. Think about our table. No, not ours. This is the Lord's table, we say every Sunday. The Lord invites you. Jesus meets us here. It was in the practice of table and food that Jews in the Roman Empire could maintain their identity. You know, the, the Roman authorities wanted everyone to be the same. And not like Jews, but, but the same like the Roman Empire and the people, the way they lived. 
And so there was constant pressure on every Jew to assimilate to the majority culture. Come and be like us. Come and join us in our activities. And for those who wanted to keep the Jewish religion poor, uh, pure, and those who were serious about God's covenant with them, eating with the Gentiles sounded like idolatry. Because here around the table you could maintain your identity. You could say, whose we are and to whom we belong and what we believe. And so the moment Peter stepped out and had a meal with the Gentile, it was as if he was stepping on their soul, stepping on their culture and their religion. It's interesting that uh, preaching and baptizing, even the Holy Spirit may be acceptable, even if baptism, uh, baptism admitted the Gentiles to some form of belonging to this Christian community. But to demonstrate solidarity around the table, that took things just a little bit far. And to treat those people, the Gentiles, as equals by eating with them, well, that meant they had to change their behavior to show their respect for our traditions and practices. This young church, brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, could certainly not accommodate their foreign ways and thus endanger the clarity of the church's identity. Just as if the church's identity is in the things that we do and the way that we have always done things or the way that we think we have always done things. But the thing is, God at this stage had rearranged not only Peter's worldview, he didn't just look at the world in a different way, but God has also changed the way that Peter looked and thought about other people. And so we read that he explained step by step. The original word here is orderly, with which Luke in the beginning in chapter 1 of Acts tells Theophilus that he's going to to explain in an orderly way, to tell the story of Jesus in an orderly way. By no means chronologically. But the story made clear what God is doing. So Luke tells us that, that Peter began to tell to those leaders of the church a story in an orderly way, step by step, to make to them clear that it wasn't he that if he had his choice, he would not have gone to the, to the heathens, but that God was at work. God is doing. God is in charge. God is pushing things forward, even in the church that believe that we are too old for that. And so, somewhere in the story, Peter explains to the church leaders that the man, and he doesn't name Cornelius, mentioned to him in a visit that it wasn't about eating, but it was mainly about salvation. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And Peter, brothers and sisters, listened. And Peter learned 
Not only from God, but also from the Gentiles, from Cornelius. And then he had a time of reflection, discerning what happened here, thinking about Cornelius and the spirit and baptism and the eating. And he remembered what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit and the church's mission. And he discovered, very unsettling and discomforting, the truth that the promise of the Holy Spirit had much broader implications than he understood in the beginning. The Holy Spirit coming to a church has much broader implications than what he, who is Peter, would have liked. Maybe much broader than any one of us would like today. So, where did spirit-led experiences lead Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church? What new insights did we glean under influence of the Holy Spirit? In seven months that I've been working here, brothers and sisters, I know that we like our policies and we love the way that we have always done things. Because that gives us security. And some of us maybe dread the fact that the last full-time pastor stayed way too short and that we are without institutional memory. Maybe there are way more people here today who long to recreate the old days. Or as I've heard, who want to take the church back. And I don't know from whom and for what. We just cannot face the fact that we are a church for this millennium. For this century. That we are a church for these people. And not the church of many years ago. Yet if this is a church, the Spirit of God who was given to the church on, on Pentecost is alive. And the Spirit is busy pushing the church in new and astonishing directions. I know from my own experience how frightening it is when you give in to the push and the pull of God's spirit. But maybe this is the fire that Jesus is talking about in Luke. Fire that brings new life. You see, the spirit of God is not random and incoherent. The spirit pushes the church into greater practice of God's love for all the people of the world. So if the text of this morning is about crossing boundaries and borders and doing new things and allowing God's Spirit to do greater things than just longing for a new preaching pulpit pastor, what are we called to do? I know it's contentious. I know it causes division. Many things would be more comfortable than listening to God's Spirit. Many things would be more comfortable than following where the Spirit leads us because the Spirit leads to new and exciting places while we, ex while we hope to get comfort and peace. 
Maybe the church then would have preferred to keep Cornelius and his family on probation, keep them away in Caesarea as long as they didn't disturb the peace among them. I know it will be more comfortable to quickly find a new, strong pulpit-preaching pastor. To leave us uncomfortable when we have together have to find out where God is leading us in this world. Or maybe it will be easier not to be uncomfortable, but continue the way we have always done things. And yes, it will be easier to remain the old village country club church where everyone who can pay their yearly dues can behave the way they want, participate the way they want. But brothers and sisters, what if this is not our church? What if it is, in fact, God's spirit at work in amazing and upsetting and discomforting ways? And what, are, what, what if God is really serious about justice for everyone? Psalm 82. Psalm 82, Psalm 8 says, we are just a little lower than heavenly beings. What if God is talking to us through Psalm 82 also? I asked a few questions about what, what if we let go of our wish to be in control? What if we let go of our wish that the church would always be the same? What if we begin to ask, who are we that we could continue to hinder God? I know it's scary. What will happen to our church? What will the new generation do here where we have invested so much of ourselves and our money and our energy and our imagination. But maybe if we let go, maybe we'll discover that God's new work has begun a long time ago. Maybe part of what happened to us in the quick recycling of pastors means that God wants us to think differently about this position. Maybe if we listen closely enough and discern God's work, we will hear that God is calling us to follow with new understanding, with new love and new attitudes to all those people that God loves so much. What if we discover that Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church isn't anymore what it has been when we were much younger? Amen.